the internet and the way people talk on the internet is, I think, devoid of authenticity in a lot of cases. And when you see the biggest creators on the internet stand out, the reason is because they're being true to themselves completely. Hello and welcome to Why Button, the podcast that asks why we care about video games. I'm your host, Kyle Starr. On this show, I interview creators, enthusiasts, journalists, and media personalities about their origins with video games, what keeps them so interested in the medium, and what excites them about the future. On this episode, I'm joined by Brendan Bigley of the Into the Aether podcast. Into the Aether is billed as a low-key video game podcast, which, after you hear this discussion, you'll understand why, and in 2021 was named Esquire's Gaming Podcast of the Year. During the episode, you'll hear me gush over my love for the show, all of its positivity and humor, but most of all, my amazement at the sheer amount of content Brendan and his co-host Steven put into the world, which in doing so requires they play an incredible amount of games past and present. Brendan and I discuss growing up with video games, his draw to continue playing and creating, inflection points in the medium, and so much more. I'm so thankful Brendan was able to take a step away from the Aether to join me on Y Button. Brendan Bigley of Into the Aether fame. Whoa. Welcome to Y Button. Thank you so much, Kyle. And I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I, I was, uh, I've been wanting to, uh, to pick your brain about your interest in video games for quite some time. Mm. Um, I think our, our background extends, I mean, several years at this point, as long as the Into the Aether has been going on for sure. Yeah, longer, right? I, I forget. We became Twitter mutuals like eons ago. I forget, I forget what prompted it. You did a like a, I don't know if you'd call it like a remix album or something of that nature under your, under your um, artist name, Bokeh, right? Mm-hmm. For Adventure Zone? Uh, yeah. Is that, is that where it came from? That's where it came from. So I think what I, if I recall correctly, I read Polygon almost religiously mm-hmm. and they did a piece about, which makes sense. There's the McElroy brothers, which I think at the time worked at Polygon and uh, they, yep. I think, linked to your, uh, your album. Mm. Um, something of that nature. There was some, I feel like there's some connection there between Adventure Zone, possibly Polygon and yeah. your album. And I caught wind of it. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. I listened to Adventure Zone or at least that first season. So I was very familiar with the show. Yeah. The music was perfect. And then I found out that that was you. And so maybe that's that's the genesis, our origin of the years we've gone back and forth. And I've watched your, I think what I would call pretty safely is a budding and blossoming uh, career in in games. Um, I guess journalism is one word to, to, <laughs> to say uh, or or to use. Yeah. Um, enthusiasm, um, interest uh, grow. It's It's been quite fascinating to watch you yourself because you're involved in more than just into the aether but watching into the aether grow mm. and all the other ventures that you're you're after grow and i know it's it's ancillary and on the side of your day-to-day um you know nine to five and all that jazz so it's just it, it, you you put out a crazy amount of content around games um, yeah and so that's sort of what fascinates me about you in particular is mm. like how do you have the time to do all of this uh <laughs> play all these games record all this content push it all right. out as well as juggle you know the day-to-day stuff and we can get into that later we don't have to dive super deep into that immediately but i would love to to hear from you you know where your first memories of games um uh, comes from was there a particular game was there a particular moment that sort of hooked you has it always been part of your life i know uh, you're of you and i are of the age where we grew up with this medium so sometimes it's hard to pinpoint exactly yeah. you know when and where but uh, i'm curious what what sort of pops out to you as as the moment that sort of 
caught your attention. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, a lot of, a lot of that was very kind. So th- thank you. Uh, yeah. I, I Going back to the beginning, I, th- I think one of the interesting things, as you just mentioned, uh, is like our age group in particular kind of remembers a time where games weren't uh, a huge medium, but was more just a thing that we all viewed through the lens of like just a fun entertainment thing. Not that it's like deviated away from that completely, but I feel like there's a, li- a little bit more of like a pomp and circumstance to games now than there was. You know, we have our own award show. Thankfully, we have many actually. But I, I think for me, I-, I can't pinpoint the exact moment, but I do know how they entered my life, which is when I was a baby. My dad got a, a Sega Genesis. And was just, I think, using it to like be sane, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, while needing to raise a kid. And I grew up and started playing it eventually. And I, I think really the only games he had, if I were to, if I were to pinpoint them, I think was the first Sonic the Hedgehog, a Madden game, and I think Monopoly. I think there was like a like a version of Monopoly for the Sega Genesis that he had. And then over time, over the years, as I started getting older and started playing it more, eventually that led to like us going on trips to Funko Land, which is now a store that doesn't exist anymore. It got swallowed up in the big uh, game stopification of all uh, <laughs> games merchandise. And usually the, the process for me at Funko Land was we would not be looking at the newest, latest releases. We would just go to the bargain bin of what was available for the Sega Genesis and would just like pick stuff out based on what was going on there because my dad was in no way connected to like games media or journalism or like up to date in any respect on that it was just a thing he got for fun uh and i i seem to have an interest in it so so i was i was very very lucky that my parents kind of allowed me to stay interested in it uh and kind of like pique that curiosity so it was really the second genesis and i just remember a couple of games in particular the first sonic i think really stands out for me uh as like the game that i played the most probably at that age really really young and then weirdly comic zone which is a game i don't even think is like great but is like iconic for me you know that's so yes i'm sorry i hate to interrupt but i I have like a super crazy soft spot for for comic zone yeah sketch turner as a dude is fascinating yeah exactly yeah i can almost feel the game there's something about that game that you can feel the way you move from panel to panel and it's yeah yeah i I, we don't have to go super deep into (laughs) comic zone but uh but that was like the first moment for me where i was like there there is something tactile about i mean yes there's buttons that you're pressing on a controller but there's there's like a Mm -hmm. feeling in the actual game a momentum or something that that was uh you know present in that game so sorry sorry to interrupt you you, you lit off a a flare in my mind about uh memories i had about comic zone yes and kyle uh yeah the comic zone i i think is um it is one of those games that i think you know looking back on it is really fascinating taking the kind of side scroller double dragon and like a lot of the stuff that was happening in the arcade and saying what if we focus it on a single player experience sure add like a a weird high concept narrative to it if you haven't played comic zone dear listener it's uh, about a guy named sketch turner who is like the most 90s dude of all time and what i think a lot of comic book people in the early 90s envisioned themselves as is this like super ripped guy with like denim cutoffs getting sucked into his own creation and needing to fight his way out which is very silly but i just i just remember comic zone really like lighting my brain up at that age uh and then i think vector man 2 was another one that really stuck out and then moving on from the sega genesis the first time i was like current really was uh in in the later 90s with the game boy and pokemon and stuff like that because i mean if you were my age when pokemon came out it was unavoidable like everyone was into it um and a lot of people phased out of it obviously i did not but i just remember the game boy specifically was when i started to like be aware that games were coming out and i could get a new game as it came out uh and be like at the edge 
you know, of, of, yeah. of what was happening. But really, it was just like Sega Genesis and Game Boy for years for me until the PS2 came out. I missed like everything in between. I saw stuff, you know, at friends' houses. Like I would go over and I would see the N64. And we would play Super Smash Brothers or Star Fox or whatever. The PS1, things like that. But I, I never really wanted any of them because I was so like content with what I had hmm. until I got the PS2 and I got Spider-Man, the video game based on the movie because we were still in that era. And uh, that was really like the PS2 era. That whole generation for me was the moment where I think my brain kicked on. And I was like, I'm interested in video games in a way that's beyond like where a lot of my friends are at, where it's just like a thing we do for fun. Like I'm interested in like how they're made, who makes them and why they exist. And that was when I started to get into like media also was like being on the computer, hanging out in like forums on the internet, seeing the news as it was breaking, uh, being aware of things like E3. That was like, that was the generation for me. And it really just hasn't stopped since then. I've just been like, you know, totally all in since the PS2 era. Yeah, I have so many questions about everything you just said. So so truly, if what I'm hearing is that video game, you've known video games since birth, basically your first memories, I imagine you, you, you may not have memories without video games because yeah. of your dad, his Sega Genesis, which I also grew up a Genesis kid. That was my first like home console. Hell yeah. Um, I, I recognize there's a, maybe a, a tiny bit of an age gap between the two of us, but that was something that I always wanted a video game uh, console. Didn't get a Nintendo. That's, that's really what I wanted. my first memories are of like Mega Man two on my babysitters, mm. uh, Nintendo, uh, you know, NES. Yeah. And so just wanting video games, there was something that there like a craving inside of me, like from the very from the get go. Right. Um, but I didn't really, you know, see that out until, uh, uh, getting a Sega Genesis. I had a Game Boy, I think prior to that, but Sega Genesis was where I, where I was. You saying vector man and again, <laughs> it's like, it, it's lighting all these things up. Yeah. Um, it's just so interesting that it started with your dad, who's not a generation that I associate with having a home console or, or playing. And maybe there, maybe that, that was, I know today there are, uh, you know, the, the demographic for video games is very much our age and younger and even possibly a little bit older than anybody who grew up in the eighties, basically. And after. But I personally don't associate, uh, say, our parents' generation with video games. So it's it's quite interesting to me that that your your dad was uh, had a console, was was playing Sega Genesis while raising you. Um, and that's sort of where you, you were just kind of born with it. And what's even yeah. more fascinating is, is the fact that you didn't, you know, you, you this contentment that you said, like, until PS2, you were just content. And maybe is that because you were just around it? It was just a thing that existed for you? Yeah, I think I, I think I was just unaware of what was happening, really. You know, like I would go to friends' houses and play other things. And uh, it, it just never occurred to me that I could also want and, and have the things that they had, really. You know, uh, I, I remember really specifically, my dad also traveled a lot for work. He, he has a background in, in like engineering and, and chemistry and stuff. Um, and he was traveling a lot for work and it took him to this factory that was in Puerto Rico. And I went with him for this one trip and we did what was like a really, really, really early version of Airbnb uh, and stayed in somebody's house while they were away. And I remember they had a Super Nintendo with Super mm. Mario World, which that was like my first real interaction with a Nintendo home console after playing Sega for so long. And I was just like blown away by what Super Mario World had on offer, especially compared to all the stuff that I owned. And I think that was the beginning of me being like, I want something Nintendo related eventually. But for the most part, yeah, I was like totally fine just, you know, hanging out at friends' houses and playing their stuff, you know, as much as they would let me and vice versa, because I was really one of the only people I knew that had a Sega Genesis. But yeah. Does your dad still play? And if so, is there any connection that you you two share? 
uh it's interesting he he doesn't as much he has a switch i remember um i I remember the day the switch came out i had one immediately i a thing that's weird that never really comes up like on shows or anywhere is just like i'm really good at finding things i it's i've become the go-to person for a lot of people in my life if they need to find a thing that is like sold out or whatever or is hard to get um and I just remember the switch coming out. I got one immediately, like early that morning and then showed it to my dad who immediately was like, are they going to have Zeldas on this thing? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I also want one. And <laughs> I took him out and we went out for like three or four hours and managed to find a switch, another switch on launch day for him. And and where that came from, his his desire to play Zelda was uh, we also got the Nintendo Wii the day it came out as well. Waited in a line, etc. And that came with Twilight Princess uh, and Red Steel the the maligned ubisoft franchise um and he got so into twilight princess and it was the first time he had really gotten into video games i think since that sega genesis era a weird gap in here is that uh on our gateway computer i think in the late 90s or early 2000s he also downloaded an nes emulator mm-hmm. on it which you know looking back it's like oh my god this is maybe where my love of emulation came from um but he he got an nes emulator on our gateway computer and that was kind of my first my first inkling of like what was going on in nintendo world but uh, a lot of that stuff I, I don't know i just kind of moved on from immediately uh but he was playing some of that stuff and then he got into zelda through twilight princess and ever since then has just been like is there a new zelda then i'll play that and uh, he usually doesn't finish them the last i talked to him about it uh he watched my let's play of the Link's awakening remake on the switch instead of playing it himself which i thought was very was very nice That's i thought that cute. was like yeah, I thought that was very loving in a way. But he bought it for himself and then like couldn't progress because that game is super archaic and weird. Sure. Uh, and then was like, I guess I'll just watch Brendan play it. That relationship you have with your dad around games is, is fascinating. If I don't have that relationship with, with my parents and it's totally fine. My dad's super into model trains and I have no idea what how that brings any joy to anybody uh, to yeah. watch this thing go around a track. I, it I'm could appreci- have gone either way though, right? Like, yeah. I, I mean, at the end of the day, the reason that my dad got into video games is because, I mean, and I say this lovingly because I'm of the same ilk, but like he's a, he's a nerd. He's like an engineering nerd. And right. I imagine... You know, uh, the idea of home video game consoles taking the arcade and putting it in your house for like a reasonable price was probably interesting to him as somebody who's fascinated by technology also. Sure. I have to imagine that's where it came from. I've never actually asked him point blank, like why why he got the Sega Genesis. I, it's all been assumptions. But next time I see him, I'll ask. I'll just have him on the show for you and then I'll get it out of him. I would love that. You should have my dad on the show. <laughs> Um, going fast forwarding now a bit, you, you, you mentioned PS2. I want to get back to this PS2 sure. being that sort of, or, or, or Spider-Man really, um, was it, was it Tobey Maguire that did it for you? Or was it like just the, just the game and like, what, what about, what about that, that game got you thinking like, holy shit, like, yeah, this is actually a thing. Yeah. I, I was never really, uh, outside of comic zone. Uh, I was never really into comic books as a kid, uh, but I, I just remember picking up this book that was like the big encyclopedia of Spider-Man and I was fascinated by it. It was just like essentially uh, each page had a character, you know, hero or villain or tertiary character and just kind of explained their whole comics history. Um, and I just poured over that book for the longest time. And this was before the Sam Raimi uh, movie mm-hmm. dropped. And uh, eventually that came out and I was like over the moon about it. I had like a birthday party at a movie theater and like brought a bunch of my friends to see Spider-Man. And it was like my third or fourth time seeing it. I just like couldn't get enough of that movie. And with it also came the PS2 and the Spider-Man video game, uh, which were both choices that my parents made. Again, very thankful uh, that, that they were able to do that. And 
man, that game is good. Like, I know everybody points at Spider-Man 2, but at the time, that first Spider-Man game based on the movie, like getting Tobey Maguire to voice act it and stuff like that, that stuff wasn't happening. You know, getting like the A-list actor in the big blockbuster movie to also voice their video game counterpart. It was like, weirdly, I feel like uh, that was Activision and, and I think Treyarch. Uh, really taking making a, a movie tie-in game like super seriously like they really took it as seriously as you could which i love yeah just devoured that game and then and then the ps2 was like my guy from that point on do you recall if it was something like it, because of that you know pulling in the voice actor and it being more like a fulfilling experience i i do recall when we moved to ps2 one of the things i was very excited about personally was jumping from a, an n64 was like voiceover that that was like a big deal for me for mm-hmm. whatever reason the game that stands out to me is final fantasy 10 uh the first yeah. final fantasy for ps2 and the first that had i mean it, at the time the graphics were gorgeous i was so eager to see what a final fantasy game would look like on a ps2 um, yeah. and then it was also the first if i recall correctly the first voice acted final fantasy game which to me was also fascinating uh would you know something that i was i was really really curious about yeah um and i do think it created sort of a sense of immersion at least for me it this felt like a more of a fleshed out fulfilled world once you had people actually speaking to you mm. was that is that true of that that spider-man game as well is that maybe something yeah like- yeah i think so i even, i remember at that time also even just on the the media and uh the fascination i think with everybody who played video games at the time of like are we going to get to the point where the the character models in these games look yeah. like they're saying the lines that they're saying like i that that was like a huge technological breakthrough at a certain point when that started happening and i've been noticing it a lot because i've been playing the yakuza games recently uh which are now the like a dragon games but i've been playing the yakuza games recently and and uh the first two are remakes of the ps2 ones and i've been as i'm playing through them kind of comparing and contrasting between these remakes of them and also their original ps2 counterparts it's fascinating how much of a focus they put on like great voice acting and matching those voices up with with the character models actually speaking at that time. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question more directly, I, I do think that was a huge piece of it for me was like, you know, the, the game opens up and there's a narrator, you know, who's like, hey, kid, you excited to be Spider-Man, you know, and, and mm-hmm. uh, kind of dunking on you while you're playing, which I love. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that that game extremely worked for me and kind of, you know, started firing off all the synapses that uh, have never stopped firing off. Yeah. So you, you're now you're invested in games in a different way. You're paying attention to what's coming out, yeah. likely curious and and having, you know, these schoolyard conversations that we, you know, I think that's, that's sort of a, a one way that we consume or we consumed, uh, uh, video games, or at least, uh, the, the video game zeitgeist was out on the schoolyard. Yeah. Did you play this or you should check this out or come over to my house? Cause I got this game or whatever it happens to be. The horrible rumors that involve like deleting your save file and starting over. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Cheat codes that don't actually work and probably do something that's not great. Um, yeah, whatever it happens to be. So, but oh man, wait, can I uh, just yes. to, to throw back to your your first episode of the show with with Christian Spicer? You brought something up that I'm like, I couldn't believe that I forgot that this was an element of my life. Also, but you mentioned that in certain cases you would see cheat codes for games, and that would be the 
thing that made you want to buy the game. Of course, I was ex- yeah. I was exactly the same way. I completely forgot that that was like part of my purchasing decision was like, I mean, a great example, actually, just to keep the lineage going is Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. You could play a Spider-Man if you like did the right stuff. Uh, and then you could play a Spider-Man on the moon where you didn't have any gravity. Yeah. And that was the reason I wanted to get Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 was was to play a Spider-Man. That's that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, at the time when I was recording that with, with Christian, I I never really thought of that as my purchasing decision. Like, why did I buy games? And truthfully, mm-hmm. it was just as shallow as like, what is the coolest cheat code in here? That yeah. sounds like something I want to see. So I'm going to go rent that game or if I can buy the game, I'm going to buy the game. I probably bought or, at you know, received plenty of crappy games um, simply because I just wanted to see that one cheat code, right? Yeah, big same. I'm sure cheat codes still exist and they're, they're probably a thing. Maybe I'm just out of the loop, but boy, if they're not, I, I would, I would love to see that sort of uh, reemerge. Uh, yeah. They're, they're sorely missing. I think from the current, the current crop of stuff. Um, I, I think a lot of the things that did exist as cheat codes are now like in-game achievements or challenges or at, at its most cynical, like microtransaction related stuff, yeah. you know, like I, I'm playing through the Resident Evil 4 remake right now, you know, and and that game I think has some really wonderful kind of throwbacky stuff to that era because that that original one came out in 2005 and they they left a lot of those challenges totally intact and they're so bizarre, you know. It's like shoot as many crows as you can in one playthrough and we'll give you unlimited ammo with your rocket launcher the next time you play in New Game Plus, like that kind of stuff. I'm all about. Yeah, love it. So you've got this podcast for those listening who aren't familiar with Into the Aether. A, you should be, you should be listening to the show. It's, uh, I, it, uh, honestly, I think it's my favorite podcast right now. So con- oh. thank you and, and congratulations. Thank you. But uh, Steven is the co-host um, and yes, quite a funny dude, brings a lot of energy and character to that show. Um, yeah. You all bounce off each other um, in such a great way. It's such a cool chemistry. I think you guys are on season five now. Is that, that's right, right? Yeah, yeah. This is our fifth year doing it. Fifth year doing it. I've been following you all since basically the beginning, more or less. Um, it's a Thank wonderful you show. You come at the show with a with a, um, I guess, an air of positivity around games, bringing games that mm-hmm. only you enjoy, more or less. I think there are times here and there when you have to critique and, and provide, you know, a, a real opinion about some, you know, or or a harder opinion about something, yeah. which I appreciate. But I think just overall, the the vibe of the show is is very positive, heartwarming. It I think during the pandemic, it brought myself and many of your listeners to. Um, a better place. I, there were many moments where things, you know, obviously the world was a very dark place and whatnot. And yeah. your podcast specifically brought me a lot of joy or a lot of light. And and again, I, I just want to say thanks for that. I think it's fascinating that a podcast about video games and again, about you talking about video games and the medium and researching the medium and researching games, not only present, but a lot of past games as well can bring so much joy in just you talking about it. Mm. Um, I'm curious a few things about Into the Aether. A, where the hell did the name come from? Um, <laughs> B, uh, why this that particular angle on video games? And I guess uh, C is, you know, how how is it bringing you joy, I guess, to talk mm. about video games this way? Yeah, yeah. Uh, where did the name Into the Aether come from? Yes. Uh, early on, some some of the advice that I would usually give to new creators who are making podcasts uh, and have never done it before is record like five to 10 episodes of your show and then release the 11th one. I feel like in, in a lot of cases, uh, in a lot of cases, people like don't fully know what the show should be when they start it. And, it, and when we started Into the Aether, it was a very similar thing where like Stephen and I knew we wanted to have a video game show. It was just going to be the two of us. We weren't going to do guests, but we didn't fully know what the format was going to be outside of like we wanted to talk about games that we liked and we wanted it to be like a mostly positive thing. 
And uh, we recorded like three or four episodes, I would say, uh, like test episodes that we put together. And in the very first one, which doesn't exist anymore, the audio is totally lost. Steven said something to the to the effect of like, here's another video game podcast, throw it, throw it on the pile. You know, we're just like another video game podcast floating around the ether. And uh, we decided just, you know, in a yes and moment was like, that's going to be the name of the show is going to be floating around the ether. Nice. And then uh, the next time we sat down, we went to go say it and we were like, this doesn't feel very good. What if it was something different and made it into the ether, which does a double duty, which I, I've always appreciated. Um, and uh, and some people have pointed out that this was a good choice, I think, in terms of like the community building side of it. But into the ether is like a is not the easiest name to spell and like type into a search engine. Right. Um, there's a little bit of a barrier to entry to like even finding the show and starting to listen to it and like getting yep. into the community and stuff, which is a little bit purposeful. It's one of the reasons I like the name so much is like because we're a little bit harder to find, you need to be really intentional and you need to like really know what our show is before you get into it, which I think down the down the funnel, to use a shitty marketing term, leads us into like if you end up like in the Discord, for example, you probably listen to enough of the show where like you understand our vibe and what we're all about and like the kinds of conversations that we would want to be having yeah. in the Discord. Yeah, I think there's there's a there is a lot of nuance, I think, with that name too. Um, that you refer to the Aether as like as something that's part of the show too, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's gotten away from us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it has gotten away from. It's this mythical sort of thing that like you will things into existence. You have this knack for calling it. Like, again, I think it's. It, there's something about the the fact that you are playing so many games across different generations. Um, you cover all of these things that, you know, uh, inevitably you're going to talk about something and then, you know, a re-release of that game is going to come out yeah. or a sequel is going to come out or something. I know the port, you guys have talked about the portal incident where you, you mentioned portal on the show and was it the next day or within hours or something like that? Uh, yeah, that, that was, I think was announced the wildest it's ever been. And was the moment where like Steven and AJ and I were like, we might actually have stumbled into something like dark and mysterious that we, we can't really yeah. put a finger on. Um, but yeah, we, we brought up, I think like the first week of February was that last year, two years ago, we were like, yeah, we're thinking about doing portal one and two as our bonus episode for this right, month. And right. then the next week there was a Nintendo direct where valve showed up and announced that they were putting portal on the switch yes. was like that, like unhooked my brain from reality you know i was just totally untethered i was like at, at this point anything we say on the show could be real and we need to be careful <laughs> <laughs> yeah before you uh unleash comic zone on uh on all of us the sequel put to. sketch turner in smash is all i'm saying the final smash update years after sakurai has said he's not going to work on that game it's good yeah it's going to be sketch turner that's the, that's I'm back. the one. i had a vision i had a vision in the night I think a lot of it for me stems from being a fan of video game podcasts from like the earliest ones, you know, um, around around the beginning of like podcasting as a medium and starting to follow a lot of people making these shows. You know, I, I feel like everybody always points to one up and like everything that happened with one up and where all of those people went is kind of like, you know, seeding the ground for the the top layer of video game podcasts that we have today in a lot of ways but you know shows like that and uh the totally rad show and eventually spinning out into weekend confirmed and then dlc and listening to giant bomb and all these podcasts that i i really liked but i always and this is not to to uh dunk on any of those shows but i found that a lot of the stuff that i was listening to really took a lot of joy in hating stuff at a certain point. Mm. I, I started to get into this like malaise where I would just listen to all these podcasts where like the vibe was 
the people recording and the people who were at the time, I mean, for me, the way I viewed it was like, oh, they're lucky enough to like have this outlet where they get to talk about this like incredibly cool and growing medium. The the central theme of it all is just apathy, which really bummed me out. So at a certain point and, and based on a job that I had had where I was listening to just like more podcasts than I really could handle, um, I just kind of stopped listening to everything for a long time really just bailed at a podcast as, as like a medium for a little bit and thought to myself, you know, if, if I'm feeling this way about video game shows, if I'm feeling like, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a disconnect between how much love I have for this medium and the way it's being talked about at kind of like the highest levels of, of, of audio formats, at least, then I think that's a that's a avenue to both like break in, but it's also a way for me to kind of center myself around what I appreciate about the medium. Because I feel like, you know, you look at any look at any other medium, right? Look at the way people talk about film or or books or whatever. Like the vibe is always going backwards will allow you to appreciate what's coming, right? Like if you go back and experience, you know, the formative works of film or of television or of, of uh, fiction or whatever, you'll get a good foundation and a good baseline for what's, you know, to come and, and what's new. And, and when things break the mold, why that's exciting, because you have that understanding of what came beforehand. So a lot of the thought process for me and Into the Aether, and I had just been laid off from a job and I just had like all this free time and I didn't know what to do with myself. I was like, is this the time that I reach out to Steven and we figure something out. And the vibe that I had in the back of my head was I want this to be a positive show about video games. That was like really the main thing was like, I think I think it'd be more fun for everybody. <laughs> like yeah. making the show and also listening to the show is if we came at it only bringing games to the show that we had like nice things to say about. And as you mentioned, it, it doesn't mean that this stuff is devoid of criticism. And there have been occasions where we've hyped ourselves up on a game and then it's like, oh, we're expected to cover it, but we don't like it. And we need to we need to do that. You know, and I think a lot of that is just about authenticity, because I think at the core of all of this, for me, the biggest thing about the Internet and the way people talk on the Internet is, I think, devoid of authenticity in a lot of cases. And when you see the biggest creators on the Internet stand out, the reason is because they're being true to themselves completely. There's none of this like veneer of you know character or like apathy or just trying to be cooler than you are it's like no no no. love the things that you love openly and that will allow people to get a better understanding of who you are so i thought coming at the idea of doing a weekly video game show where we weren't beholden to the stuff that was coming out we didn't need to be current because being current means that you're forced into this roadblock where like if a game comes out and it's huge it's a triple a thing and people come to your show expecting that and you hate it, then that means you have a whole segment on your show about how much you hate something. And that, you know, you can get that in 58 million different podcasts on the internet. You know, it's it's much more interesting to me to be like, yeah, this new game came out and I'm interested in it and that's why I'm playing it versus, you know, I'm being forced into this hole. On the other end, there is like, okay, well, if something new is out and you're not interested in it, that means you can go back and you could talk about Comic Zone, you know, and like why Comic <laughs> yeah, Zone is exactly. so cool and why Sketch Turner is such a bizarre guy and maybe he should be in Super Smash Brothers or or Mario Kart, you know? Like that's that's I think where the fun of the show lies is um what I, what I wanted at the core, and this is before, you know, even meeting with Steven or anything was like, I wanted people to come to the show for us and our viewpoint mm -hmm. more than the actual week to week content. You know, I, I don't want people to come in expecting us to talk about, you know, a specific thing or news or whatever is like, just come for the vibe. And I think that's enough uh, to, to base a show on.
And I think that that's the brilliant part of it. There are plenty of shows and I do listen. I mean, my, my podcast consumption is almost exclusively video game podcasts, um, mm. for better or worse. Yeah. Um, same. but most of those shows cover what is new, what's going on in the industry, what, which I absolutely appreciate. I, I have an eye to the industry, you know, constantly. Yeah. Same. But, you need it. Yeah, totally. Especially if you're, if you're interested in the hobby, if you're interested in the medium and, and where the art form is going and whatnot. Absolutely. But Again, going back to the point that I made earlier that I think your podcast is my favorite podcast right now. And it has nothing, not nothing, but it it is, it's not about the fact that you're talking about what's new, you're covering the latest game. It is that vibe, truly. There are plenty of episodes where I'll see what games you're covering and go, I don't know, I don't think I have an interest in any of those games, but I want to listen to Brendan and Steven talk. Mm. And typically something will come out of those conversations where I, it, you know, you've lit something up, you've talked about a mechanic in a game or a story beat in a game. And I all of a sudden become interested. I think, you know, uh, Dragon Quest 11 was one of those. I'd never played a Dragon Quest game as yeah, man. I was like staunch Final Fantasy guy. And the more you guys kept talking about Dragon Quest 11, I was like, I, I just got to try this out. There's a 10 hour demo. Um, yeah. Why not? And I, I got hooked. I was like all in when I started. And it was because of the the enthusiasm you, you had about that game. Um, yeah. The game's an all-timer. And yeah. I don't know, the game wasn't even new at that point. It had, had previous or prior releases, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, so it had been out for years, yeah. That's the point. It's like you you all have me playing games, like catalog games that I had never thought of. Um, some of these are like deemed retro games. Some of them are just, you know, maybe three or five years old or whatever it happens to mm-hmm. be. And so I just, again, this is me appreciating you bringing that uh, positivity to the, you know, around the medium to to the show. Totally. I am curious though. So uh, again, with Into the Aether, the format, of, not necessarily the format of the show, but each episode you guys are doing weekly episodes. They're about an hour and a half, give or take, um, mm-hmm. in length. You're also doing bonus episodes. Uh, every month you do a bonus episode around a particular game. Those are generally longer and they, they dive deep into the actual, you know, that one specific game yeah. can be a three hour conversation about Ocarina of Time or something of that nature. We're recording you, one later today, uh, at, at least at the time of this recording, that is uh, going to be multiple games and I think it's going to go on forever. And I'm really excited about it. I'm pretty pumped about that. Well, I treat myself with the, the bonus episodes to, to be transparent with you is if I haven't played the game and I plan on playing the game, I won't listen to the bonus until mm. I treat myself to playing the game, which that's awesome. can take me years sometimes, truthfully. Yeah. So I may or may not, I, I think I have experience with the, the games you're about to talk about. So I may be listening to this one. Mm-hmm. But all that said, uh, you also do some uh, your your season openers, and you recently had a uh, one that was not a season opener, but a a Patreon, um, I guess, pledge uh, yeah. show uh, around consoles. Um, you've had a GBA uh, focused episode, which uh, you you let me be a part of um, by modding some Game Boys and giving away yeah, um, thank you. through a contest. Thank you for asking. That was a, a really fun uh, fun treat for me. You did a 3DS episode and now you've released a, uh, I'm sorry, you did a DS episode and now you've released a 3DS episode. Yeah. Um, I went back through the months of this year alone, uh, January, February and, and March so far. In January, y'all released 10 hours of content throughout all those different uh, mediums, the weekly shows, the bonus shows, mm. but not February was another 11 hours. Um, in March, and we're not done, we still got a week left. You have a bonus coming up and you've got a weekly coming up, I think. Um, you're at 12 hours right now. So you've done 33 <laughs> hours of of podcasting in, in three months in the first quarter of this year. It's uh-huh. quite a lot, but again, it's addicting. With all of that, and I'm getting, I'm getting somewhere with all this, it's a ton I of time... You ton of time spent recording podcasts, mm. including the one you're on right now. You bring at least, I feel like it's three to four games a week to the show. So you're playing all these games, yeah. um, sinking a ton of time into, into the actual games themselves. 
again, while juggling your day-to-day life. You have side projects on the side too. I know you're working on, a, you have a blog. Um, and now I guess if you want to call it a, a vlog, maybe, I'm not sure how you, how you deem it. Um, called wavelengths. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, it's turning, it's turning into a podcast slowly. There's a video component, but it's also being released as a podcast. Yeah. So my point is, you have all of this, th- these outlets, and you're playing all these games. What of all of this experience? This all, it seems like an all-consuming appetite and, uh, and consumption of games and, and outlet of games. Yeah. What of this are you learning about the medium and and the reasons, I think, the heart of this podcast? Like, what are you learning about why you are doing all this and why it's becoming all-consuming and why you care to do any of this at all? What is mm. it about games or talking about games that is just, again, all-consuming? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, going going back to the earliest years of me being interested in video games, the the conversations around them is always the most compelling thing, right? Is like... You know, whether that's the, uh, you know, weird playground conversations about uh, glitches or things that aren't real or cheat codes or whatever. Um, And just like the rumor mill, the playground rumor mill, as it were. I feel like that just kind of extends forwards as far as you possibly can to now now the podcasting element. But I think I think the real answer to that question is kind of twofold. On on one hand, you know, why video games specifically? It's just the medium of choice for me. Um, as much as I have an interest in film and reading and whatever, we are in a really, really special and specific point in human history where we get to be here when like the ground rules and the foundational aspect of games is being built like beneath our feet. And being lucky enough to have started with the medium way back when in the 90s, like really means that we're in a really great place to understand the lineage of the medium. You know, even Mm -hmm. things can come out and be exciting and whatever, but like it all kind of makes sense in hindsight, right? So I kind of want to take advantage of that. You know, I think in like 30, 40, 50, 100 years, a lot of people will be glad that there's this much content on the internet documenting the the rise of video games as a medium, especially as they evolve into something that I'm sure like we can't even imagine on this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that element, right? There's always something new. There's always something wild and cool and interesting. There, there is always something that will pique your curiosity about the medium. So that's why video games, I think, in particular. And then on the other end, you know, why make all of this stuff? I go back to a conversation that you and I had um, for a previous job where we talked about your blog, Zero Counts. uh, Mm -hmm. And one of the first questions I asked you before we even got into the stuff that we want to talk about is like, why why do you write this blog? And you said a thing that I just have co-opted as my own answer. I just plagiarize you all the time now. You said, uh, I can't not, which is really just how I feel about it. And and this is this has been me for my whole life. I mean, anyone who knew me in, in high school or earlier always knew me as like the person that was always just making stuff, you know, in, in some kind of way, I was always expressing myself through a medium. And I think over time, podcasts became the one that I was the most comfortable with uh, outside of photography. But like, you know, podcasts, I think just became the thing that I knew best and could create the fastest mm. and and uh, with the lowest lift for myself, uh, which is why I'm constantly challenging myself. And that's why this new thing is like a video related thing. You know, I'm, I'm just I'm trying to branch out. But, you know, I eventually got into the podcast industry and started learning a lot about podcast marketing and like what makes that medium interesting. And I feel similarly about podcasts the way I do about video games, where it's like we're in such a nascent phase of what podcasts are that I, I think people don't even like fully appreciate where it can go 
yet. Sure, yeah. I, I think there are a couple standouts here and there that make things really interesting, but that's also kind of like part of the expression, at least on my end and on Steven's end and on AJ's end, making Into the Aether is like the stuff we get to do in Into the Aether because we're you know fully independent, we are not beholden to really anything. And specifically, I think one of the bigger things for me is like we're breaking a lot of the rules of podcasts, I think, frequently by, you know, having topics that are so loose on a week to week basis, releasing stuff kind of irregularly. You know, we have our like Wednesday episodes, but as you mentioned, those bonus episodes and patron bonus stuff, like that's all completely on a whim for the most part. And then the length of each episode varies wildly. We've had episodes that are 30 minutes. We've had episodes that are eight and a half hours and people love all of it, which is like we've gotten really good feedback on every length of episode. And even looking at our own analytics and stuff, it's like, People listen to all of it, no matter how long it is, which is like we're so lucky to be in that perspective or to be in that uh, that that realm. So all that said, I mean, you also get into expression and moving podcasting forward. I believe, you know, as as maybe self-centered as it might sound, I do feel like Into the Aether is kind of pushing podcasts in some ways. We're like we're a chat show and we're also not afraid to have an hour of highway sounds at the end of an episode if it fits the vibe. Yeah. Or we did an episode last season, which I think is like one of the things I'm most proud of in terms of the the lineage of the show so far that was about the Stanley Parable, which is a game where if you haven't played it, it involves Mm -hmm. starting over and over and over again and making different choices throughout your play, which will take you to different endings. Um, And our episode about the Stanley Parable was structured the same way the game is. And I think in some cases... That is like the ideal for me. Like that's I would love if we could do that for every episode where somehow listening to the episode is reminiscent of the feeling of playing the game. But in that episode, each segment is its own ending and we start the show over and over and over again and we get into like weird multiversal stuff. It's (laughs) it's a bizarre it's a bizarre experience. Um, That's that's the kind of stuff that I'm I'm most excited about. So uh, on, on the game's end, I'm constantly being Uh, you know, set on the back foot in amazement by what game developers big and small are able to create. And then on the podcasting front, I I worked for a company that was kind of at the forefront of making podcasting as approachable and accessible as possible. And my role within that company was a figuring out what the future podcast should look like and b helping creators get there. So a lot, I mean, for a, a chunk of my life, the only thing that I was thinking about was what does the future of podcasting look mm. like and how can you revitalize and and uh, and inject new life into even the old standbys in terms of format. Yeah. So, it, I mean, there's an element here, I think that's about technology in, in a way. You, both of these mediums, yeah. video games and podcasting, feel like they're in their, maybe their infancy. I think uh, when I chatted with Christian, he sort of said um, that it was more in like their, I guess, formative middle school years or whatever it happens to be. But yeah. there is an element of like, of, of unknown, of wild west, of, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, to figure out where the, the boundaries are here, if there are even boundaries, uh, whatsoever, which I think can speak to, uh, technology on one level, getting to games specifically. I think there are a lot of different avenues that can, that are continued to be explored. Nobody has nailed everything in game. Sure. There are games that you could consider uh, quote unquote perfect or whatever. I mean, the super Mario brothers, like it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to say that there's like parts of that game that don't work. I mean, in a way it is a perfect video. It's like the perfect yeah. video game or Tetris is the perfect video game. I, right? w- I would argue that much. Yeah. There are like six things happening in super Mario brothers and all of them are great. 
They're yes. all executed perfectly. Exactly. And, and that's just be, that's also, you know, a limitation of the hardware and the technology at the time meant that you could really only include those six things in there. But yeah. uh, they nailed all of them. Yeah. And so uh, what I mean to say is there there are different elements that I think um, you can push the boundaries of games. It could be story. It could be technology. It could be interaction. Yeah. When you're playing all these games for Into the Aether, mm-hmm. and I know different genres and different eras are you're going to be looking for different things in those different styles of games yeah but is there something for you that you that you try to latch on to first like what what draws you to a game mm. is there a central thing that draws you first and then other things that catch your eye or are you always looking for like in this style of game i'm looking for story or in this style of game i'm looking to see what they're doing with the technology yeah like, is there a, a one in particular thing that you're looking after or is it sort of all-encompassing that's a that's a good question i feel like if i had to take a step back and I've also just received this feedback from people who listen to the Aether and kind of know our vibe. Um, but generally speaking, I think I'm more the mechanics guy mm. of, of the two of us. I think Steven's more the story and character angle and I'm, I'm definitely more the mechanics angle and usually good mechanics will, will draw me in. You know, if the game feels good, I kind of don't even care about the story in some cases. Um, I would like if, I would like if something was there, <laughs> I think, uh, for the most part. And I've also come at games where the reverse is true, where the story is so good that I'm pulled in, even if I don't like the gameplay. But usually, I think especially my, my leaning towards like kind of arcade score chase stuff and roguelikes really stems from a love of mechanics. Uh, more than anything else. I'm just I'm just fascinated by game feel as an idea. Gotcha. Can you um maybe it's around game feel. I, I know I sent you a prompt before we we started chatting and one of the mm. questions I had for you was are, are there three to five games that that you recall that have kind of like sparked awe in you or or these moments of like, oh my God, this is this is a whole different thing. Um Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a bunch. Um I think it, as the direct connection to what I was just talking about, The Binding of Isaac was really a big one for me because mm. that that's a game that like, I mean, if you, if you haven't seen it, go look it up. It is like horrid looking, you know, it is purposefully grotesque in every way you could possibly make a game grotesque, even though it's, you know, like cartoon characters, I guess now sprites, but uh, even though it's sprites, it's like so gross from a visual and sound design perspective and feels immaculate. Like the game, uh, it's it's a roguelike where you just kind of make your way through uh, the basement that your mother threw you in uh, and you're trying to escape the basement and also like fighting uh, angels and devils, etc. cetera. Uh, it's, it's, you know, biblical in, in every sense. But at the end of the day, the game just feels incredible. And there are so many mechanics kind of stacked up on one another that allow each run to be so fascinating and so unique compared to one another. And the more you play them and the more you understand the possibility space, the better you get at the game. All of that combined was kind of, I think, the beginning of me being really interested in like kind of studying games and why I like them and and why I play them. Um, the Binding of Isaac was like my podcast game of choice. So I was like listening to game criticism while playing it. Also, I played like a thousand hours of that game. I think that's like the one that really stands out to me is like the impetus for a lot of what I'm doing. Um, even though I don't really play it as much anymore, they've released like a billion content packs for it. I just haven't checked any of them out. But also thinking back on just the history of games that like really blew me away. I feel like uh, maybe maybe the biggest one, and it, it, it would have been Ico had I played Ico, but it was Shadow of the Colossus. Mm, sure. Shadow of the Colossus, one of the final games on the PS2. 
Um, obviously, you know, I, I think whenever people talk about the end of a console generation and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm excited to see like the games that come out at the end when developers really understand the hardware and like they can push it to its complete limit. Like, I think all of that stems from how impressive Shadow of the Colossus was when it came out, because that that game looks like a PS3 game, you know, on the PS2. It's 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 a miraculous thing that it works. But on top of that, getting back to like mechanics and story, you know, this is this is the era where Roger Ebert is saying games are not art. And then here comes Shadow of the Colossus as this like you know meditative quiet experience where you have to constantly ask yourself if you're doing the right thing and if playing the game and continuing to play the game is the right choice sure. uh, in in the world that the game is creating the idea of stripping everything away except for the boss fights but also for the most part making the bosses like sympathetic characters in the game it's it's an unreal experience and i think i think that game amongst a lot of the ones that I played growing up, I think that might have been the one that rewired my brain into understanding what games could be mm. um, as well. Uh, that, that was a really formative one. That and like Oblivion. Oblivion. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go on the Oblivion. I'm not, we're not going to jump down the Oblivion <laughs> rabbit hole. But Go uh, listen to Into the Aether if you want the Oblivion, yeah. Oblivion rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> the original, the original uh, description of Into the Aether, like when we first launched the show, was uh, Stephen Hilger and Brendan Bigley tried to not talk about the Elder Scrolls Oblivion. That was that was it. That was all he had. You <laughs> still lunch. do a decent job trying to it, uh, <laughs> but it it has definitely permeated that podcast uh, pretty well at this point. Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel like Oblivion uh, runs deep in all of us. I appreciate it though. That was the first and and truthfully, really the only Elder Scrolls game I've I've gotten into. Um, I played. A, a little bit of Skyrim and mm. just have never jumped back into it. Every time I want to, there's like a better version of Skyrim. I could be playing yeah. Elden Ring or I could be playing Breath of the Wild or something. It's like, right. do I have time? I don't have time to play any of those games anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I have very fond memories of Oblivion. I didn't even really know what it was. I think some one of my friends loved Morrowind back in the day. And I was like, oh, this is mm. like the new Morrowind. I'm going to give that a shot uh, and just got totally sucked in. I was, uh, yeah, it, it was pretty wild. That thing is unreal to this day. I am still blown away that Oblivion like works and is as good as it is. Yeah. Um, Hearing you talk about Shadow of the Colossus, again, a game I have still have not played. Shamefully, mm -hmm. I have not played Shadow of the Colossus. But it reminded me of my playthrough of Journey, which was a game that oh, yeah. I think, and I've been playing games and fascinated with games, you know, my whole life up until then. But still playing a game like Journey, where it's like, it was an example of like, I've never played anything like this. I've never experienced anything like this. I played it all in one sitting and I haven't played it since. It was one of my favorite video game experiences ever. One of the best games I've ever played, but I'm afraid to go back and play it because I don't want to ruin that feeling, that memory that I have of it. Mm. It was such a, like you said, a meditative experience that was like, this is what this medium can do. It's, you know, it's not just popping quarters in a machine to see how many bad guys you can kill or how far you can get in a level or whatever, how many points yeah. you get score chasing and all that. It was this really like profound feeling of symbolism and the score, the music that was part of it, which is, still some of my favorite video game music, uh, all around. It was, it was like the definition of, of art, just interactive art in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I kind of, you alluded to this, uh, earlier is like, what are games going to become? Are they even going to become games? And I mentioned this on Christian's podcast. And I wrote a thing for the into, into the Aether newsletter about like, why do we even call them video games? Uh, right. at, at some level, like that doesn't feel like a game journey doesn't feel like a game, so to speak. And, uh, where it's more of an experience, um, with all of the, again, I'm going to keep going back to just how much, how, how many games you're playing and consuming and all this. Yeah. Do you ever get sick of this? Do you ever get, do you ever hit like a burnout moment? Do you ever, um, like 
cringe at the idea of picking up a, a console or, or a video game. And yeah, is, is that a thing that occurs? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think I, I'd be lying if I said it didn't happen. Um, I honestly, like, truly, like, am just coming out of a spell like that now, where oh, I interesting. I thought to myself, uh, and uh, I'll be totally frank. Like, I had this conversation with Stephen and AJ. Was like, maybe, maybe we take like two or three months off or something. You know, like, mm. do a sabbatical like for the first time ever, and like come back later and figure out, you know, just like what's next. And uh, kind of pushed through it, decided that the best thing to do is to just keep releasing episodes and like keep on keeping on. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the format of the show is because we can talk about like really whatever. Uh, there really is no pressure, you know, at, yeah. at any point. I think any any pressure we have is really self-imposed for the most part. There's obviously like the baseline level of quality we want to hit for the people who listen to the show and expect the show to be that from us. But in terms of like, pushing ourselves in any respect I, a lot of our ethos in making the show and the thing we say to each other all the time the three of us is like the show should never be a a, a source of stress for any of us like at, at no point should the show be a thing that we like feel obligated to do or like feel you know a, upset about needing to make for any any respect um and I'll, I'll be honest even though there are moments where it's like i don't know what to play i'm kind of not drawn to anything right now by the time we sit down every sunday and make the show i'm always excited to do that like the actual like making the show every week is really exciting and the games just kind of like lead to that but also there's this element of like we've been doing it for five years steven's been doing improv forever i've i've been kind of in the sphere of like hosting stuff for a long time as well even before this show i had other podcasts uh and was doing other stuff um like even if we don't play enough to do like an hour-long episode we'll be fine we'll be all right uh yeah. but yeah outside of that i think at the end of the day um Everything I said stands. I mean, I, I love I love games. I love checking out games. I really like pushing my own understanding of like what genres I'm into uh, and and learning more about the elements of games that I didn't really understand. I, like right sure. now, at the time that we're recording this, Steve and I are in this kick of like there's this whole actual like chunk of years where people in Japan were making these great visual novels that just never got released here or were released here and were so buried under the radar that nobody even really like picked them up. Not nobody, but you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they weren't popularized uh, for various reasons and uh, we're like checking them out now. And that's really cool. That's a really fun thing to go and, and, and like jump into that rabbit hole um, and learn new stuff. I mean, for me, even turn-based RPGs was like a big one. That was a, that was a sticking point in season two was like, Brendan's going to find a turn-based RPG that he likes. It's not Pokemon. And uh, I got there in the end. Yeah, you have. Yeah. You've, you've found it. You found quite a few, I think. <laughs> it's true. With, I was I was looking up a quote while you were going through that because it reminded me of that the what Reed Hastings said about you know Netflix uh, sleep is our is our biggest competitor. Mm. Do you feel like with consuming so so many games and I know you love the medium and and love discovering um you know discovering new games and seeing where it's going, but do you ever feel like you you are running out of time or uh, don't have an opportunity to to experience other other mediums? It's interesting. I um. The the one that I really feel like I don't get enough time or put enough time into is books, uh, because a lot of the time that I could be spent 
reading books. I'm usually playing video games. Um, and I feel like our, our mutual friend, Chris Plant, knows this very well because he has a he has a Excel spreadsheet where he keeps track of everything that he does uh, and like what he's spending all of his free time doing. And uh, I, I every once in a while flirt with the idea of doing that so I can like actually take a really pointed look at how much time I'm spending playing video games and seeing if I could like divert that time elsewhere. But that having been said, this is just where my life is right now. You know, sure. this is like I, I'm enjoying making into the Aether. I'm enjoying doing all the other stuff that I'm, I'm working on. Uh, I don't really feel like I'm against a wall being forced to do anything. You know, it really is just following my own interests and following my own curiosity. So, yeah, I don't th- I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. <laughs> as far as I can tell, I, I, I will remain interested in stuff uh, as new stuff keeps coming out. Like I got a I got a subscription to a movie theater near my house recently mm. and I've just been seeing everything uh, kind of like bringing back that love of like sitting in a movie theater and watching new stuff. And then again, like books, I've kind of I feel like you, you've done this. At least I've seen you tweet about this where like you keep track of how many books you're reading throughout mm-hmm. the year. And yeah. uh, I, I've kind of made it a point to like put down books when I'm not interested in them, you know, like don't force myself to finish things, but, you know, continue to check out more and more stuff the same way I am with games. I think a lot of uh, what Into the Aether has brought to me as a person is just a, a more concrete understanding of my own free time and how I should spend it and a willingness to put things down when I don't enjoy them because that's the point of this, you know. Um, yeah. If I'm not if I'm not getting something out of it, then then why continue? And ultimately, the the way you want to spend your time is experiencing video games. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. With an eye to the future, um, mm. again, you've games you're playing are not just current. And there's there's old stuff, and you probably see themes come back around. You know, old things are new again, and and whatnot. But do you have an idea, or or is there something you're excited about with the future of games? Uh, mm. You know that that again, playing so many has sort of made you curious about. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the answer to that is is manyfold. Uh, on on one hand, it's the not knowing, right? It's like right. the unknown itself is exciting um, because you don't know when a new game like you know Breath of the Wild, for example, is going to come out and just like really change everything, and every game's going to have gliders in them for the next you know X years. I think that's really exciting. Honestly, it's been really exciting to do the show for a couple of those inflection points, like being a person kind of you know tangentially related to the industry. I always think of Into the Aether as like an island floating alongside the larger games media continent. Mm-hmm. But even like even being that tangentially related, like being part of the of the fun with Elden Ring, for example, was like exhilarating. It was so cool where like everyone just kind of looked around and was like, oh my God, this is this is going to change a lot. And, you know, we're not going to see the fruits of that labor for another five years the same way like, uh, what is it, that Suicide Squad game that's like a super like microtransaction heavy, you know, always on looter shooter experience. If you extrapolate out when that game probably started development, it's like right around the time when Destiny 2 came out, you know, and like, Clearly, somebody in the WB Games, Rocksteady Studios was like, oh, we should do something like that. And it takes so long to come out. And by the time it's coming out now, people have a distaste for that kind of game. So I think that those teams that are like really looking at what's possible and trying to push the medium forward are always really exciting to me. But to get more specific, I think like, you know, uh, looking at live service games, I think there is a world in which studios start to figure them out like we obviously have the really early ones like early mmos and games like team fortress and things like that but when you have games like fortnite and apex legends which just opened up respawn just opened up a third location that will be focused specifically on keeping apex legends going for the next five to ten years you have you know uh bungie with destiny 2 and whatever they're working on next i feel like here and there 
companies are starting to figure out live service. Uh, and I, I don't think that's inherently a bad thing. I, I know that's a, maybe a divisive thing to say, but I think that live service games like can be the future. And the idea of like Fortnite being the biggest game in the world and it's also free and is, you know, playable on just about every device is really, really exhilarating, I think, to me in terms of like a new generation of kids growing up and like having access to the biggest thing in the world at all times, which then leads into like game streaming and and cloud gaming, which if you've listened to Aether, you know, I'm like all about. I, I just think that that is um, a really exciting element of games and, and where technology is going, especially I feel like we look at where consoles are at now. I, I, I there are rumors right now that Sony is working on the PlayStation 5 Pro and that they have the PlayStation 6 lined up and they already know the year that they want that to come out. And I'm coming at this from a perspective of like, I assumed that these were going to be the last boxes we were going to buy for under our TVs. Mm, like I interesting. I thought that the series lineup on Xbox's end and, and the PS5 was maybe going to be like the end of like you buy a $700 box and you plug it into your TV and more like you download an app on your Apple TV or your Chromecast and like that's your game console. Hmm. Um, that, that feels more like the future to me and I think we might be getting closer to it. I, I think just lowering that barrier to entry and that cost to entry is really important. But you also have to recognize that like not everybody has a great internet connection. But by the time those two things line up, I think that'll be better for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really exciting to me as well. And then also, if you permit me one more, yes, we're not at we're not at VR yet. Like we're we're not there yet. I I know there are people who are really into VR and into those headsets, uh, but they're like you know exorbitantly expensive. They're not really accessible to anybody uh except for people with like a lot of money to to throw at it which is fine if that's your hobby like i'm, I'm never gonna like dunk on somebody for what they decide to spend their money on in that case um but what i what i've tried of vr is really exciting i remember psvr on the ps4 coming out and playing skyrim on that and being like oh i get it now and i am excited for when this is more accessible financially to people you know where they don't need to buy a $1000 box and then another $500 headset and a bunch of like ir towers that they need to place around a big empty room that they might not have in their small apartment mm-hmm. we're getting closer to i think what vr needs to be to work but it's a little bit of a chicken in the egg and i think a lot of people in the vr space will tell you that where it's like oh yeah. you need the killer app you know but the killer app isn't going to get made until there's enough of a of a financial interest that you'll probably get your money back if you make that killer app, you know? Sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre. But that said, as a person with really bad depth perception, uh, VR allows me to see in 3d the way most people do when they sit in movie theaters with 3d glasses on. And, uh, I'm grateful to VR for that. That's rad. I didn't, I didn't, uh, realize, I, I guess I didn't uh, think of that as a, as a benefit to a, a VR, um, <laughs> almost like an accessibility uh, angle to it, which is, which there, there are plenty, there are yeah. certainly plenty of accessibility angles, but that is not one I had considered. Yeah. It, it, it was just miraculous putting it on for the first time and hanging out in, in Skyrim. Yeah. I opened up all the windows and like lit a bunch of pine scented candles. I like really got into it. It was the middle of winter. It was very silly. <laughs> Talk about meditative experiences. Yeah. I, you, you prompted one other question I have now. Sure. You mentioned, you know, running the podcast um, during these inflection points in gaming. Uh, Elden Ring probably being the most recent where you, mm. you know, the, it was seemingly beyond just the gaming 
like the the core, I guess, gaming community, folks who who are really invested yeah. in the medium. It was sort of like fanning out beyond that. People were curious what what is this Elden Ring game, and people getting into you know gaming through Elden Ring, which sounds insane because Elden Ring is, if you're not familiar, uh, from software puts out these incredibly difficult games. That's like the whole point is that it's insanely difficult, but for whatever reason, was attracting mass audiences. Um, beyond just you know the the standard uh, or not standard the uh, the usual FromSoft uh, um, fans and 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 folks in the gaming industry. A similar yeah. inflection point I think was Breath of the Wild when that came out. You might have mentioned this mm-hmm. um, that you know you you couldn't go on Twitter without seeing you know people talking about Breath of the Wild. So so much so that it went well beyond just the gaming community into celebrities and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I can't say for certain, but I'm sure like folks like Chrissy Teigen and others were you know posting videos or talking about Breath of the Wild and how incredible it was. Just got name dropped on the new season of Ted Lasso. Yes, exactly. Um, There's these weird moments that happen that extend beyond just folks who are invested in the hobby and in the medium that Mm -hmm. permeates out to others. That can be said for any medium. There could be a a book that everybody's talking about. um, You know, if it's uh, the bad example, maybe, but like the Da Vinci Code, I remember that was a big deal at the time when it came out and everybody was reading the Da Vinci Code, right? You had to, or, or movies. I think movies may be a little more common where there's a a movie that's out that everybody's talking about. You have to go see it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and then I think, Looking kind of what you had said about the future, those inflection points too, I think during the pandemic brought upon a lot of those live service games. There was this moment where like, hey, everybody's at home. Video games are popping off because there's not a whole lot else to do. Yeah, Um, We didn't know if we could even step outside. So everybody starts investing their time in playing video games. A lot of people who had dumped medium or never even gotten into the medium are now starting to play. And live service becomes a thing because there's a communal aspect to it. I'm curious, those inflection points that you've experienced in your lifetime, Mm. like, why do you think there those you know particular moments, and we could just use those three if you want, or if there are other inflection points you you can think of. Um, why do you think those those happen or happened? Uh, Breath of the Wild, Elden Ring, live service games, and if you want to go back further to think, yeah. I, I am failing to think of other inflection points, but um, maybe the birth of the medium or arcades. But um, right, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like um, it's kind of like ask like it. I've, I've experienced this a lot sitting in conference rooms where, you know, somebody who uh, doesn't know a lot about social media marketing will be like, how do we go viral? You know, it's like right. that, that age old question. It's like, yeah. well, every person who goes viral goes viral for completely different reasons, I think. And and it's usually like at whims that are outside of your control, Aether adjacent, I would say even. And for each of those three in particular, Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring and and what was what was the third one? I just said live service in general. Oh, kind yeah. Of the, the burst of live service. Yeah, live service. But you look at like uh, you know, Blaseball or Fall Guys. Um, I think I think Animal Crossing New Horizons is maybe another one that's, that's yeah, uh, sure. pretty recent. That's that's worth touching on. All of those games, I think hit those points for different reasons, right? Like Elden Ring, you can't deny the George R. R. Martin of it all. Uh, the idea that like Game of Thrones has just ended and people didn't like it very much and he's supposed to be releasing, you know, the final book and he hasn't done that yet, but he did have time to work on this thing called Elden Ring with the people that make Dark Souls. And also internally, I think in the game community, people just excited about the idea of From Software and Miyazaki making a large scale open world thing. Um, for me, even in the lead up to Elden Ring coming out and hearing about what it was supposed to be, the George R. R. Martin of it all, I wasn't really that interested in because I've never really been a Game of Thrones guy personally. But the idea of it being an open world um, and seeing some footage of it really reminded me of Breath of the Wild. And to me, my thought was like, 
there have there have been a couple of games here and there that have tried this, but Elden Ring to me felt like the first one that understood why Breath of the Wild was a big deal in terms of game design specifically, uh, and and took a lot of inspiration from that and incorporated it into you know a, a combat mechanic set that everyone knew was going to be rock solid, right? Like for all the things that Elden Ring could have messed up on before it came out, everyone knew that the combat was going to feel good. Everything else was kind of up in the air. So you have that about Elden Ring, which then points backwards to Breath of the Wild. And I think, you know, Zelda is kind of the end all be all outside of Mario in a lot of ways, right? You got like Mario is, you know, a worldwide beloved figure, uh, Mickey Mouse kind of uh, contemporary in a lot of cases. And in some cases, even more so like like Mario is an even bigger deal, uh, especially if you look at certain points in the history of Nintendo's existence. So alongside that comes Zelda, which is like, I think, just as big of a franchise as Mario in a lot of cases. And because they're so few and far between, they make far fewer Zelda games than they do Mario games. Every time one comes out, it is this big bombastic like, hey, here's where games can go experience, which, you know, varying degrees of success for each title. But Breath of the Wild, I think, was necessary in that franchise. And I think a lot of people felt it even outside of the normal game sphere, which is like every Zelda game that comes out, it is a play on similar ideas and on similar themes and on similar gameplay mechanics. You kind of know what's going to happen in each Zelda game. And that's a little bit part of that franchise's DNA, I think, is that self-referential idea, that meta energy, that 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 concept that, you know, this is a cyclical experience that these three characters, Link, Zelda and Ganondorf, are going through over and over and over again, that they're like stuck in this Groundhog Day loop nightmare scenario where Mm -hmm. every once in a while one of them wins but at a certain point you do that for you know 20 25 30 years and players are going to start to ask themselves like okay what's next there's got to be something new here you know um you got you got a point in a different direction it can't always just be like go into temple a then temple b then temple c and then maybe do temple a b and c again but they're more complex you know I think everyone kind of felt that. So Breath of the Wild coming out and taking a look at games like Skyrim, like Ionuma has has said, uh, Ionuma is the director of Breath of the Wild, has has said outright like Skyrim was a big influence. Ubisoft's open world games were a big influence. Just generally speaking, a lot of like Western open world games were a big influence on Breath of the Wild. And I remember even in the lead up to the media side of things, the coverage of that game was like, isn't that an exciting idea? to take these elements that we know and love and put a new interesting spin on them and, and fit Zelda into that mold. Like, how does that work? And, you know, it's one of the best games of all time. So it worked out. And then New Horizons is like, you know, the pandemic happened and everyone right. needed to connect. Yeah. You know, uh, I as a long, long, long time Animal Crossing diehard, uh, it was really exciting to see you know the franchise that I love that much kind of be put up on the pedestal and is now like I would consider alongside like a Mario and a Zelda like every people know who Tom Nook is now mm-hmm. in like real life uh that's wild and uh and, and exciting but you know it was it was born out of a bad circumstance unfortunately yeah yeah totally I, I can't go back to that game unfortunately this is like a it's and, and I think there's probably a lot of people like that there's like a PTSD to it right that was the beginning of the pandemic I kind of do feel that way yeah it, also it's just like uh it was really fun it was communal and and it was nice to have you know hop on in the morning get your text thread with all your buddies who are playing and yeah talk about turnip prices and and all that sort of stuff but once it fizzled, I had my birthday was, in Animal Crossing it see like all all kinds of, and again, other people outside the community talking about their islands and what's going on with, with, uh, you know, turn up prices and then all that sort of stuff. Uh, quite fascinating. Um, two things, two things on that note. Uh, One was breath of the wild. I was thinking about one of the Mm. things that I, I I thought saw 
pop off to your point of like expanding on Skyrim, expanding on these other experiences, but taking this beloved franchise and doing that with it was again, something that was sort of revolutionary to that, that franchise to, to Zelda, unless you hearken back. And it did hearken back to the very first Zelda. Um, there was yeah. the prototypes of the game, which you can see, you can watch, I think documentaries on how they made this. They took prototypes. Yeah. It's a great GDC talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Of the very first Zelda. How can we um, integrate that into, in, into the modern gaming, but taking mm-hmm. a whole physics engine, which I think hadn't really been explored where I remember, I think it's it's quite famous now, but uh, watching people chain metal weapons together and yeah. to be struck by lightning to create, to create electricity to, yeah, to create circuits in the game. Like this almost Minecraft uh, aspect as well, this creation mm-hmm. aspect, folding that into something that nobody had any idea that that would even come up. They couldn't fathom that being part of a Zelda game and, and people getting creative with it, even outside of just if you're a fan of Zelda, you didn't even have to be to understand that this is an incredibly creative use of these systems, these mechanics, mm-hmm. these, these tools. And, and of course it's obvious you can, you can make a, uh, a video game, anything you really want it to be at this, you know, in this era or at this stage, why wouldn't you just be able to mock physics and be able to do these sorts of things? I think we're yeah. so stymied by the limitations we've seen on games throughout the the growth that uh, sometimes we don't think outside the box of like, it can just model real life and these sorts of interactions that happen in real life. And yes, you can just drop that inside of Zelda or Mario or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, it's one of the exciting things about games, generally speaking, is you never know where that cool big idea is going to come from. And, you know, Breath of the Wild is not the first one to to have all of that stuff in there and to have those kinds of physics engines and those kinds of like emergent interactions. But, you know, getting it all right and yeah. putting it in the framework of a Zelda is what made it that exciting. Um, and it's cool to see you know, a lot of other games taking different elements of what worked in Breath of the Wild and and, uh, and extrapolating them out, like Elden Ring, for example. There's a game I'm playing right now called Chia, which is on uh, PlayStation. That is, I feel like, really Breath of the Wild inspired and is taking a completely different approach to, like, why Breath of the Wild was cool in the first place. It, it, it involves, like, a, a fantasy recreation of a real island off the coast of Australia, and, and all of the developers and voice talent and stuff are all from there, and it's like, we want to make a loving recreation of our island uh, and allow you to explore its lore and its history via a video game mm-hmm. amazing it's an amazing idea and you know it has the breath of the wild glider and it has a boat that you can sail around on like in wind waker and it has you know the the exact same like climbing energy stamina meter but because it's you know in a completely different environment because it's tackling completely different themes and ideas because you're playing as like a little kid who has this you know bright-eyed lack of awareness of like what is even possible in the world the first time she sees a city with like cars and stuff is like shocking you know you're getting all of these different elements which to me stems from why Breath of the Wild worked at least for me is is again the not knowing is the exploration is is the like I, I don't even know what's possible here. And that's what's so exciting. You know, the first thing I did when I booted up Breath of the Wild and started playing it was I just went to each tower and just unlocked the whole map. I just wanted to see. I didn't even care what the story was. I didn't care about the game. I was I just wanted to see. So I just yeah. went to each tower, which was way too difficult to do. I don't recommend playing that way. It's like re- <laughs> it's a really hard way to play the game to go unlock all the towers first, because a lot of them are like end game areas where you're fighting, you know, the big, scary, like octopus legged robots uh, with with heat seeking lasers, but I, I I couldn't not do it that way, and I'm feeling the same way about Chia right now. Yeah. Um, so you never you never know, you know, you never know where that where that next cool great idea is going to come from, or where what it's going to lead to. 
I think that that could honestly put a bow on this episode by just saying that you don't know where the <laughs> next great idea is going to come from. And again, I think that applies to to all mediums, but this this medium in general, video games, it, it can be so many different things. You've uh, you know just being on the show, you've talked about visual novels, we've talked about meditative experiences, we've talked about mechanics, we've talked about these expansive worlds and physics engines and and all of this sort of stuff, and stemming all the way back to playing a video game that mimics a uh, a comic book um, on the Sega Genesis. <laughs> um, it's there's so many things here, so many possibilities, and and just as soon as you think we've we've uh, we've figured it all out, the next cool idea just comes right around the corner, and and it's just you know it's endlessly exciting. So yeah, yeah, a game you can taste. Maybe that's next. There you go. You hear, heard it here, the prediction. <laughs> Putting it into the Aether, maybe. Uh, a game yeah. you can taste. Who yeah. knows? Not that probably already party. exists, and we just don't yeah. know about it, and you're going to find it on some, uh, I don't know, some deep, Smell-O-Vision. deep yeah. blog. There you go. Yeah. With that, uh, is there anything else you wanted to, to bring up? I'll, I'll shout out one more game, maybe, uh, that I'm playing that I think is great. Uh, that's I don't, I don't think it's really flying under the radar because I think, I think people are, are kind of interested in like the story of it. But there's a game called Storyteller that just launched on Switch and on, mm. on Steam recently that I highly recommend checking out. I think it's like 15 bucks. And it's 15 bucks is actually very interesting. It's been in development for about 15 years and weirdly feels a little bit comic zone in terms of like, presenting the world through the lens of comic book panels but it's a puzzle game where you have to uh take characters and locations and place them into those comic book panels to tell a story uh and then you'll have to maybe do that in multiple different ways uh it's a fascinating game i like it a lot it's one of the ones that i think i'm gonna just like be meditating on for the rest of the year just like how simple of an idea and how complex its execution is really cool i I love games like that they really they really work for me what was the name of the game one more time storyteller storyteller it's a great one cool uh where can people find you oh the big question uh brendanbigley.com <laughs> is probably the best place uh that's just like the hub for everything that i'm doing for the most part uh there's just like a paragraph with a lot of links there that you can go check out into the aether obviously you can find that into the cast.online um and then the other place that i'd point people to uh i don't know when this is coming out but by the time this comes out i imagine my show will also be out so that is available at wavelengths.online uh, you can you can check it out there, which is a YouTube show. Uh, it's also a podcast. And if you listen to it on Spotify, you can get the video version there as well. Cool. Well, uh, I thank you so much for your time. I know we went well beyond what, what I'd promised, but um, this was just such a treat. And uh, I appreciate being yeah, here. Thank you thank so much you. for asking me. Well, I'll let you get back to your day. Have a good one. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, and I look forward to the, the next episode of Into the Aether. Likewise, I, I'm excited to see uh, where Y button goes. Maybe Z. One more big thank you to Brendan Bigley for coming on the show. If you haven't heard Into the Aether, you definitely need to check it out. You can easily just jump into any one of the episodes. I'm sure they'll cover a game that you've either heard of or interested in. And even if you're not, you'll find something you love there between Brendan and Steven. Um, My recommendations, if you've got the time, try out the nearly five-hour Game Boy Advance retrospective episode. I was actually able to help out with that episode um, in modding some Game Boys for the show that they later gave away. Uh, There's also the four-hour Season 5 D. DS retrospective episode if you uh, have some nostalgia for the Nintendo DS. And if you really, really want to get into the show, maybe try out the eight hour long Games of the Decade uh, show where Brennan and Steven recap all of their favorite games across the, uh, the last decade. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. If you want to get in touch, feel free to reach out to whybuttonpodcast at gmail.com or on Mastodon at whybutton at mastodon.social. 
You can also find me on Mastodon at Kyle Star with two R's at mastodon.social. This episode was produced by the wonderful AJ Filari. Our theme song was written by Child Star, who is me, and Scott Wilkie. You can find it on all streaming platforms. Thanks again for listening to Y Button, and remember, when you press Y, ask why. <laughs>